The Gospel reading today is from Luke 4. We begin a Lenten series on biblical locations, but also spiritual and theological locations. Uh, and always for the first Sunday of Lent, we begin with Jesus in the wilderness. Listen for God's word. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing at all during those days, and when they were over, he was famished. The devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. Jesus answered him, it is written, one does not live by bread alone. Then the devil led him up and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, to you I will give their glory and all this authority, for it has been given over to me and I give it to anyone I please. If you then will worship me, it'll all be yours. Jesus answered him, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only God. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to protect you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every test, he departed from him until an opportune time. The word of the Lord. I was in a hardware store a while back looking for a tube of super glue. I couldn't find it. I went up and down all the aisles, couldn't locate it. Finally went up to the counter for help from the guy who was standing up there behind the counter next to the cash register. He was on the telephone when he saw me heading uh, his direction. He turned away from me and, and kept talking. This is what I heard of his part of the conversation. So did you get to the party? Really? Oh, you're kidding. What did Susan say? No way. You've got to be kidding me. Seriously? On and on it went. I <clears throat> finally kind of cleared my voice, and he gave a sharp look in my direction, wheeled around and kept on talking. You know, that's Susan, all right. What are you up to this weekend? Pardon me, I finally said, I just need to ask one question. He let out a great sigh and mumbled into the telephone something and then turned to me with a look that kind of said, spit it out. I'm looking for super glue, I said. It's on the third aisle in plain view, he said. Uh, and so as I made my way to the third aisle and walked down it, with every step I took, I was getting angrier and angrier. I was tempted to go back and let him have it. What does it mean that I was tempted? I was talking to some folks a while back. It seems like the husband of the couple got to schedule a business trip to San Diego in midwinter. I could go with him, said his wife, but our Teenage kids are in school, and I'd have to leave them. And Well, I trust them. I just don't know if I want to put them under that sort of temptation. She hesitates to put them under that kind of temptation. What does that mean? 
Most of us, I, I, I really believe, think if there's one thing we don't need explained anymore, it's temptation. If there's a theological word that does not need to be rescued from clergy abstraction, it, temptation would be the one. Temptation hangs around our environment like a flu virus, always threatening to break down our resistance. We're tempted to break our diets, flirt with someone at work, uh, fudge a chemistry test, cheat on our taxes, gossip about a friend, do a little white lie to get out of trouble. We're always tempted to do what we know that we should not do. Temptation, we know all about. Do we really? Do we really know what temptation is? Today's text finds Jesus in the wilderness. Led there, it says in Luke, by God's spirit. He didn't get there on his own. And then in the scripture, and always in scripture, temptation and wilderness are related. What does it mean that we are tempted? I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with the book that came out a couple decades ago from Robert Fulgham, All I Really Need to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. Fulgham argued <coughs> you don't learn the deepest wisdom in graduate school or on top of some mystical mountain, but in kindergarten, in the sandbox, playing with other children, you, you learn life's wisdom there, like share everything, play fair, clean up your own mess, say you're sorry when you hurt someone, don't hit people. When you're out in the world, watch for traffic, hold hands, and stick together. If Fulgham got his deepest wisdom for life in kindergarten, perhaps we get our deepest wisdom for the Christian life from Sunday school. I don't know about you, that's a little hazy for me back then, except for one thing my teacher told us in the fifth grade. The best measure of a person, she said, is what you would do if you knew no one would ever find out. That strikes me as more general worldly wisdom than gospel truth, but it's a near miss. It gets close to the wisdom of Jesus because our teacher was telling us that when you take away all the lust for reward and all the fear of punishment, then what you do in life grows out of who you understand yourself to be. The teacher was getting close to a gospel insight. Ethics springs out of identity. The decisions we make in life are a product of who we understand ourselves to be. In that light, we have way too shallow a view of temptation. In ordinary terms, we like to think temptation is the urge to do something we'd like to do, but no, we probably shouldn't do. One more cigarette, one more fling, one more drink, one more juicy rumor, one more cutting comment. But the de deepest temptation in life is not the urge to misbehave. It's to be who we're not created to be. This is the message of Jesus' temptation. God drove Jesus into the wilderness. Wilderness is most often the place we never seek on our own. It's the place where all our props are knocked out from underneath our feet. Wilderness is where we are alone, no one is watching. Wilderness is where we discover more deeply who we really are. 
Wilderness is that place where we have a choice. Trust God or our own best guess. In the wilderness, notice in our text, the devil is not tempting Jesus to misbehave, not tempting Jesus to shoplift or steal a wallet or peek at a website full of porn or cheat on his taxes or fight with a neighbor. It's so much deeper than that. The devil is tempting Jesus to ignore his baptism, to deny who he is, to forget his identity as a beloved child of God. A church I used to serve a long time ago had a congregational covenant they used for baptism. It was written, I think, back in the 70s. They'd used it for a long time. I found myself at every single baptism I did stumbling, not able to say one line. Affirming infant baptism, the congregational covenant also affirmed that they would allow each person in their own time to decide about the Christian faith. That is great enlightenment wisdom. It's a gospel lie. Baptism is about God choosing us, God naming us, God calling us. Baptism is about God giving us the gift of identity. We don't decide anything in baptism. God decides for us. It's significant that Jesus comes to this wilderness temptation straight from the story of his baptism in Luke. The time when the skies are open and the voice from heaven says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. That's who Jesus is. God says, you are my beloved son. You are my prophet, my priest, my suffering servant. You are the one I am sending down that long and painful road to Jerusalem. You are the one I am delivering into the hands of the one who will kill you. You are the one to whom I am entrusting the promise of redemption. You, Jesus, are the one. It is then when Jesus' vocation and identity are most clear that he comes to his time of tempting. It is precisely Jesus' Jesus' identity that the devil is seeking to destroy. That's what temptation is all about. Notice how the tempter begins. If you are the son of God, the devil could have said, you're not the son of God. The devil's too crafty for that. If you are the son of God, that's a self-doubt that starts working like acid on identity. The three temptations, (coughs) to turn stone into bread, to throw himself down from the top of the temple, to worship the tempter. Those are not enticements to do bad things. They are at root invitations to be somebody else, to live some other life than being the beloved child of God. Everything about the early chapters of Luke's gospel, from the nativity counts accounts to the boy Jesus in the temple make clear that Jesus had been given a narrative to follow. He'd been given an identity in God's story. The devil (coughs) wants Jesus to change the script, to trade God's story for some other story. 
Notice that Jesus combats the devil's attack not with theological innovation, not with enlightenment wisdom, not with skillful counter-arguments, not with clever repartee. Jesus counters the devil's arguments with God's story. Each time he quotes scripture from Deuteronomy, which he had heard in worship as a child week after week. He quotes the Holy Script. Jesus will not live by a narrative other than the narrative God has given him. In wilderness times, our wilderness times, Jesus' wilderness times, the temptation is to forget God. In his wilderness, Jesus remembers who he is. Because we belong to Jesus, we too have, a, have been given a part in this story, a role to play in this holy drama of redemption. It's a role we are invited to live every day, even when we're in our own wilderness. In a world where might makes right, we have been named ambassadors of reconciliation. We get to be the ones to sow love where there's hatred, to sow hope where there's despair, to live faith where there is loss. Because we're called, we're also tempted. We're tempted to change the script. We're tempted to live out another story, tempted to be someone other than we were called to be, to yield to temptation far more serious than some transgression, is to say, I'm not a child of God. That's not who I am. In the midst of South Africa's struggle against apartheid, Archbishop Desmond Tutu stood out as one of the most respected voices for racial harmony and human dignity. But even closest colleagues of Tutu were sometimes distressed by Tutu's moderation and his tolerance. They wished he'd be more aggressive with his opponents who were spewing hate. One of them said, at his age, you'd think he would have learned to hate a little more. But there's a problem with Tutu. He literally believes the gospel. In other words, Desmond Tutu knew that he was in a world created by God. He wasn't going to change God's script. Once in high school, uh, I was recruited to work with the sound effects offstage to help with a school play. When the script called for a knocking on the door, I would knock on a piece of wood. And when a phone was supposed to ring, I'd touch two wires together and the phone would start ringing. I only hoped I could stop it ringing before the actor you know, picked it up. Um, we worked hard on the play, and by opening night, man, everything was going so well. We had it down perfectly. The first act of the comedy was a dream. Every funny line evoked laughter from the audience. But in the middle of the second act, one of the actors forgot a line. You could see it on his face. He knew it was his time to speak. He didn't know what to say. The audience didn't know that yet, but everybody up on stage and backstage was on pins and needles. We knew what was happening, what to do. Everyone was so anxious. Our director was about ready to whisper his line when... He spoke. Now, what he said was not a line from the script. In his anxiety, he made something up. 
but at least he spoke. Not only that, but what he said was funny. And the whole audience laughed. Everybody on stage and backstage relaxed. We'd gotten past that bump. Unfortunately, though, the forgetful actor heard the laughter and he liked it. So he made up another line. And this one was funny, too. It wasn't as funny as the first line, but it was pretty good, and everyone chuckled. He heard that, so he made up another one, and another one, and another one. The other actors were scrambling to try to respond, to keep in some rhythm, but they couldn't. He was out of control now, spinning off whatever came into his head. The audience figured it out, too. And whatever laughter was left was nervous and mocking. The play disintegrated. It was lost. Jesus was cast in the lead role in the drama of God's redeeming love. And the devil tempted Jesus to change the script, to improvise his character, to deny who he really was. But Jesus knew who he really was. He trusted God. He never changed the script. It is written, Jesus told the tempter. It is written, he told the tempter again. God has promised, he said yet again. Like Jesus These words from God have been said about us. You are God's beloved daughter. You are God's beloved son. Every one of us, wherever we are in life or whether we are in the wilderness or not, we have been given a role by God. We've been given a script. Seek first the kingdom of God. Pray without ceasing. Repay no one evil for evil. Feed my lambs. Bear one another's burdens. Be kind to one another. Forgive one another as God has forgiven you. Love your enemies. Don't judge. Abound in mercy toward others as God has abounded in mercy toward you. Every now and then, The tempter starts whispering in your ear, change the script, make up your own lines. Decide for yourself who you are. We all find ourselves in the wilderness in different seasons of our life. It is a time in that wilderness where everything is at stake. Everything. Temptations abound for us there to throw away God and try to fake it and improvise it on our own. But the one who has poured out life for you is standing in the wings, hoping, praying for us, offering us the lines of God's living, loving, hopeful truth. Wilderness always requires a choice. Our wilderness can be any number of different things. Our wilderness can change week to week, season to season. But the choice we have is always the same. Try to get by by our half-baked wisdom, half-hearted love, and tepid improvisation. Or trust God who made us and redeems us.
and calls us. The one for whom hope and life are everything and whose steadfast love endures forever. 